22-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Seven seconds. They got Benetarian range. I'll tell you, what Tom Brady just did gives me goosebumps. Wide again for Tierney. Tierney's cross. Lucic, top of the circle, Horton, the drive, score! The Bruins knock out Montreal! Welcome to the Boston Sports Extra Podcast. This is a Patriots edition episode, and we have special guest Matt Chatham of Nesson and The Athletic joining us tonight. Do you want to go ahead and say anything more about yourself matt no you covered it all at chatham 58 on twitter and uh those are my two main jobs i work for uh, espn also doing college football on the weekends but uh this is patriots relative so we'll stick with those other two all right great <laughs> yep um yeah we want to just get a few questions out of the way for uh the texans review how that game went your thoughts sure. on it probably just dealing with the o and the um the defense and then uh Probably what were your biggest pay- takeaways from the uh, Patriots offense? Okay, so sticking with, uh, we'll go side to side, like you said. So I'll go on the offense. I'd say my biggest takeaway was more just a question answered. You know, going into this thing, we weren't exactly certain what was going to happen because of the the relatively known, low low number of officially uh, official uh, wide receivers. Put it that way, because I I say it that way because Gronk played wide receiver and then so did James White so they really had five up for the day guys that would align in that spot and play that spot so but when I say sort of question answered I mean just the configuration I mean we went into that day not knowing and one of the oddball things that happened in that game was snap number one is Corderell Patterson is the only wide receiver in the game on the field you know everyone else is is two tight ends two backs and the two backs were were, were James Devlin so fullback stuff so you know they basically answered the question of how would you compensate or you know create personnel groupings with a relatively limited number of the uh, traditionals and they went a different way so it's less of what we usually see with the four and five wide receivers occasionally with the patriots we basically didn't see those and which makes sense i mean they, they didn't carry them but you saw enough of the uh like like two tight end stuff with two wide receivers in the game, and you saw more of the you know just regular two back stuff and pro with two wide receivers in the game. So I guess the idea being is if you you know you're you're lower on the traditional stuff, you just don't play three and four wide receiver sets. And there's you know fortunately this offense is still way easily good enough to to score points without needing those kinds of uh, of of groupings. So that kind of answered that. I was I was uncertain. You know we they could have put themselves in a situation where they just put all three receivers that they had up active and rolled with that and then you know just had the one tight in the field but they didn't do it that way typically so that kind of answered that for me defensively it was just you know how is this this uh line rotation going to go i thought that was pretty interesting just to find out you know we came out of camp uh, there was a little bit of surprise deactivation Derek rivers wasn't active i think we were all kind of expecting he would be uh but keonta davis had had an awesome camp earned his right, you know, up onto the roster. But then even more than that, it ended up being a starting nod. You know, he starts at right end, uh, had a higher rep count than Adrian Claiborne. I certainly wasn't expecting that. Uh, but, you know, irrespective of who played a little bit more than than another, I would say it was very encouraging 
just how good and how deep they are. And, and I think versatile too, because you can look at the types of guys that they have now. I mean, and it's, it's, it's certainly unique. You know, they get big Danny Shelton over from Cleveland. He's a way different body type than, than like a Dietrich wise or even Claiborne himself. So they kind of have this like two waves now thing, which I think is way, you know, much, much better than what they had a year ago. And the two waves, I mean, they can go when they need to go big early. It can be Shelton and Malcolm Brown as the two insides in a four man line. And then any number of guys outside of them, Flowers at one end, Wise at the other end, or Keontae Davis potentially, or Rivers who wasn't even active, or Claiborne. All those things. They have basically like a rotating crew of the guys who play either the two end spots. But what's cool is the next wave, and that's what, what what I mean by that is it's more definitive passing situation or third and longer, whatever it may be. They kind of have this, I don't know, smaller group essentially, where Wise, who could be one of the really good ends, slides inside and plays alongside Adam Butler. So those two are more quick, fast, long lift kind of guys, and then they play, you know, with that same collection of ends. Then it can be Claiborne. And flowers. So I know it's a long, long rambly answer about all the defensive line, but it just shows you how many different configurations they have and a lot of flexibility there. That's a really, really strong group. Yeah, definitely. Um, you talked about uh, in your podcast, you talked how uh, Bentley was able to split out wide and that they wouldn't look at him and uh, that they weren't trying to pick on him, even though they might have yeah. taken that opportunity. Is there anything that you saw that stood out to you that he actually? that he did to prevent that or was it just sticking to his guy and uh, making his assignment good? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question because I was trying to figure that out. And it's funny you ask it because that's what my column's on this week for the athletic. I'm a, I'm a Thursday column for those guys. So I'm going to be, I've, I've looked at the clips that I want to use and I haven't written the text around it yet. So I'll be doing that tomorrow afternoon and evening, but it's about Bentley. And uh, I'm, I, I don't. I can't answer for you why Deshaun Watson didn't throw him the ball, but he certainly did turn, look, check, and then go away from it. So something took him off of it, and it's not as if he allowed the route to extend enough to where he could make that decision. You know, it's you know maybe a stride or two into it, and you realize this guy's not going to build on him. I'm good, uh, but that's that's curious. That's a big development. I know Landon Roberts, who I like, and I, I mean I know he's a good player, but he does get a lot of heat from some fans for being you know, not the most versatile player. He's real good at the run hammer stuff, but then, you know, a little struggles more in some of the other things. But I, I, in a year ago, there were many situations where with Hightower down, those two inside off the ball guys are Van Noy and, and then the other guy, and then Landon, they, they, they motion him out and he would draw that throw a lot. And so that would try to put them in zones or something where he would, you know, or they'd pass it off or try to get them out of that situation. And now it looks like they have the flexibility not to worry about that. So, you know, at some point, somebody's going to try him, you know, and they'll mm-hmm. see how it goes down. But I, I think for whatever reason, they twice motion, and that motion is to find out what they're in. Mm-hmm. And if you get that matchup with a 260-pound linebacker with your little back, you should probably take it. <laughs> and they yeah. didn't. So that's that to me says it's it, it could be one part – Tip of the cap to, to Bentley and, and another part, uh, I don't know. I, I Well, I guess I don't know what the other part is. They, I, I'm not sure why they didn't, but it is odd to see him not get tested. And at this point, still you know, still clean record on that kind of thing. Excellent, excellent. And then uh, now last year you were talking about Dorset all the time. And I, the biggest thing that stuck out to me is that you said several times on your podcast is that you, um, for a guy to come in with no training camp and to try to be fourth, fifth, sixth on the pass catching depth chart there is difficult to make a noise on the stat sheet. 
and that that stuck with me all through the off season and everything else. And so going into this, going into the, the training camp and everything, I had my eye on him to be to make a big jump, especially when all the other veteran will, were going down. Does that right. fall through with your thinking so far and everything playing out like how you did? Yeah, it, it's it, and thank you for that uh, for picking up on that. But I, it's something that you know, just from the experience of playing and sort of going up and down and up and down on, on depth charts myself and kind of understanding. And I guess I see it more from the defensive side of the things, but I, I know offensively there, there are only some certain things you can control. And when you're, you know, you happen to be the, the, the fifth receiver just because of the way the roster is built at the time. You know, Brandon Cooks is in-house. Amendola's here and is a veteran and, and much more established in that offense than you. Chris Hogan's be, you know, there ahead of you by a year. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you've arrived. You're the new dude. You're at the back of the room. And, and generally speaking, when they're putting game plans together and Tom's rocking back, dropping back and going into his reads, even if, you know, Dorsett's getting 10 or 15 plays a year ago, and oftentimes it was less than that, it's not as if those moments where he's in the play, he's going to be one of the first reads. He's a very late read then. So, you know, you, you can, when you when you start seeing a guy get more targets is when plays are designed for him to be an early part of the read. And it's not as if in those times where he's just able to now get on the field, he's failing by not catching a pass. He's just it's run unrealistic that the read ever gets to him. You know, he's he may be the runoff element where he's meant to grab coverage and someone else is getting the ball. He may be coming in as sort of a safety outlet on the backside of something, but it wasn't really the core thing they were going to. That was a lot of what last year was about. And then those moments where he got his chance, man, he was good. And and I would notice even on, on tape last year where there were moments where even as the runoff element or even as, you know, a post or in cut or something that's deep where they're trying to develop something else, he was open in that element. You just see that, you know, Tom can't stare at everyone at once, and that wasn't his first choice. So it was I, just the thought in my head was, okay, how will this look when he is the first option? And and I think we saw that when, when they're willing to intentionally push the ball his way, good things happen. I guy can catch the ball. He snatches it away from his body. He gets open. He's fast. He's really good running with catch guy. So he can do some things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to make him into a pro bowler, but I certainly think this is a guy who could easily be a 40 to maybe even 60 catch guy in the league. If, if the opportunities are there for him, Matt, with all that being said, um, Dorsett did come in late last year, yep. uh, with the trade from the Colts. For the most part, when since you obviously played for the Patriots and you know their system, when players like that come in that late, is it basically, and this is just my opinion, is it basically they're just there for that year to get to know the system? You know, yeah, they're on the field. They, you know, they get their chance, their chances. And like you said, they might be the fifth read, but isn't it more geared some of these players that they bring in to, use this first year to learn the system and then you'll start seeing them more the following yeah, year. I think that's ideal if it happens that way, but it, I would, I would, I would say, yes, I agree with you, but I think there's kind of like a little caveat that it sort of depends on the situation. So say, say, imagine last year's scenario um, with Jules already down, they make the trade and imagine, you know, maybe Gronk's injured or maybe, uh, Hogan had been or something, you know, imagine some, a couple other bombs go off in that room and yeah, ideally he's here. Wow. It'd be so much better if we get him a full off season, but I think they were in a luxury spot with him. He was a depth player. You know, he was there on next on last year's roster, knowing they had the possibility of either fifth year optioning him or you know, we'll have him for another year. Um, 
and that that gave them the luxury of not pressing it with him. Now, if he'd have been traded for and a couple of the things that happened, no, it's it, it's not we're okay with you learning it a little bit and being cool for next year. There are times where they had to really press press the pedal to the metal. I just it, well, that wasn't the situation last year. But you'd hate to have a guy in that situation because it's tough. You don't you know that your expectations are lower, and what they'll do is you know maybe build plays, game plan game plan plays where there's a little less read for you. It's it's you know. You're going to have three or four where it's designed to get it to you. Maybe other people are doing more learning around you to get you in a good spot. But I don't know if that's that. That's hard to make sense of that without actually illustrating it. But I, I'll, mm-hmm. it's just the short way of putting it is, yes, it's a, it's it's going to always be in my view so much better after a full off season with a guy and a camp and preseason and all that sort of living together and getting it getting it going. Um, in season, man, stuff goes so fast. It's like here's the the season's here, and and there there's no time for the learning. I mean, you're gonna practice as best you can, study on your own time, but it's really hard to get a guy up to speed that fast in that scenario. Great, thanks. And uh, being a being like an unheralded guy on the bottom of the roster sometimes, and fighting for your playoffs, fighting for your spot and everything. How was it nice to see Devlin make four catches for 22 yards during the game and pick up some key first downs yeah that's i mean that's a fun spot i mean i i for for myself as a as a linebacker and a special teams guy i there were years yeah i don't know if you guys will recall these years but uh dan klecko came in and was a linebacker d lineman type guy with us and they used Kleck as a as a as a fullback for a while and he caught a couple passes you know got a little got a little stuff in there but the year before they did that with Kleck, they actually did it with me and uh, I didn't catch any balls, damn it. And I, you know, it was, uh, but I, they would put me in the goal line packages. Uh, they were using Richard Seymour and then myself. So C, C would be this big giant uh, fullback that they would occasionally use in short yardage. And then I was the other guy, which I could run, I could play. I mean, I was a, a an all state safety, but uh, the, my junior, I'm sorry, talking about high school here, I, I, I had been a, a pretty good wide receiver. So, like, I really wanted to catch balls. You know, like, I always, I'm kind of like Vrabes a little bit, Mike Vrabel in my head a little bit. Like, I wanted to be a tight end as much as I wanted to be a, a linebacker. But it just, you know, it, part of it with Dev is, you know, he's in there hitting his head against the wall over and over and over and over again. So, it's great when, you you know, you get a payoff where, hey, I'm not having to run into a wall this time. <laughs> Somebody's going to throw me a football. So, no, that's that's obviously a very cool thing. And you know, anytime you you know you have a, a role that's something else, and you get you know, get one of those. Like I remember Tom Ashworth catching a pass in goal line situation, or old offensive tackle, and you know Russ Hochstein's caught passes, and you know old, old offensive guard. Anytime you can, you know, you play something else doesn't get that. You get a you get a bite to eat. It's a good thing. Yeah, everybody but Chatham. Everybody was <laughs> no. me. exactly. No, 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 I got to go in and block. I mean, I got to. Yeah, that was always my thing. Just go hit things hard. But no, I didn't get the. To get the pass at them. So uh, moving over to the passing deed, did you uh, did you notice anything that was really stuck out in your mind as how they played with the group? Because that was one of my big things when I was wondering if how they were going to respond as playing as a group for the first time because they hadn't really done a whole lot of that during yeah. training camp. No, it's a it's a great question, and and if you it sounds like you have listened through to my pod, and I didn't even get to this one part because it just it gets a little too much into the weeds, but it's maybe easier to draw than to than to than to to explain verbally. But that one of the things they did a lot of in the first game is they did a lot of coverages where it's called a cut or a shade or a roll or there's any number of calls where they can basically give 
you don't double necessarily DeAndre Hopkins, but you the second person is reading something off of him with the first guy and giving him help. Let's put it that way. Right. You're helping him, but you're not like straight doubling him, right? So they did a lot of that in the first game and, you know, it held them under control. Uh, but sometimes, you know, moving that safety or favoring him or shading him or whatever towards that area – it removes them from other parts of the field and leaves other people vulnerable. That Bruce Ellington touchdown in the first game, or the game a year ago was one really good example of that, where where Devin was was shading hard, hard reading the quarterback and and cheating to Hopkins. You could tell he was intentionally you know doing that, supposed to do that. And by virtue of bringing him out of the middle of the field, then yeah, it's much much easier to run post routes, especially when you have outside leverage by the coverage people. So one of the things I noticed in this game was that there was much more post safety. You know, the coverages were changing dramatic. You know, down to down, into different stuff. But more often than not, they kept a, a body in the middle of the field. They didn't look like they needed to cheat to Hopkins as much. They felt comfortable enough. To let Hopkins roll, or, or excuse me, to let uh, Gilmore run around with him, and he did a great job. Now that isn't to say that occasionally they didn't have some split safeties. They did, you know, split safeties being half coverage of some sort, or two coverage, or five, or anything like that. But the point of it is, I don't think they were as hamstrung this time around, or as nervous this time around to feel like they always had to have a second body on Hopkins. That wasn't the case at all, and that's a huge jump when you don't feel like like you have to do that. I think it really frees you up to do other things and just sort of play it straight. Yeah, especially the first game of the season. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I guess one final thing, uh, Mark Schofield brought up the uh, the near safety um, on a pressure that they had on uh, yeah. Watson. Yeah, and yeah. He, he called it a, a bear defense where he had uh, the three defensive linemen that were lining up directly over uh, the uh, guard center guard. Okay. And, then he uh, saw that the linebackers, Kyle Van Noy and Hightower, were lined up over the tackles. And instead of like really trying to swing out wide with some speed rush, they really were just trying to compress the pocket and keep the running, keep the rush lanes uh, disciplined and everything. And it just it just caused him not to have any uh, w- way out. Was that something that you saw? And was that? Do you think that's going to be a good defense for them to go against uh, a lot of the mobile quarterbacks they're going to face this year? Well, I'll stay out of the scheme on that one because I would have to look again to to verify that it was Bear. But what, what I would say that I that I really liked that it was in my notes from that play was two guys, and one was Keonta Davis and one was Dante Hightower. And Davis actually, you know, in the four-man line stuff, he was playing an edge. He was playing end. Um, in that particular one, he had bounced inside, and he was, as you mentioned, so he must have been one of the guard center guards guys because he just pressed, I believe, the right guard, left, excuse me, the left guard, right as you're looking at it defensively. Um, but his power move was really, really good. And it's one thing that I didn't really know about him because we hadn't seen him pop inside much in, pre- in preseason. We saw him play a lot of left end, and he was – He's a powerful guy, but he's certainly not like a fast, you know, up the field, like Chandler Jones body, like thinner or whatever. So it was interesting to see him pop down inside and really get great push on a guard. The guards are the 310, 320, 330 guys, and he's not as heavy as that, but he's obviously very powerful. So to see him pocket push there, because that was really the first step up lane that would have been there for Watson that was one of it the other one is uh, is Hightower off the right side so both these things are coming from the the offense's left defense's right and it's the 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 power the good power and push that from came from Davis and then Hightower who you know played a bunch of different roles in the game he played off the ball inside opposite you know next to Bentley he played a little bit of edge stuff but not always as a rusher but on this particular one he did 
and he was lined up against oh, I'm blanking on his name. It wasn't Griffin. It was the other tight end. Um, uh, blanking how it was, but uh, tight end that was tight end was on look, location there, and obviously you know their, their tight ends aren't huge. They're two fifty five, maybe even two forty five kind of guys. They're more pass pass. I don't know. They don't catch a lot of passes, but they're not like the you know they're not like the two sixty five, two seventy five like bear guys like like Allen maybe or something like that but anyhow Hightower came out the ball uh re, started to power him and then did sort of a reset with his hands uh, they, I know they've been working a lot with a, a mixed martial arts guy and and uh, did some stuff that I've done in the past and and worked with and trained with for even since I was out of football and and they did he, Hightower did this really subtle move where he started to power and at the time where the other guy realized he was getting power to reset his hands then he grabbed his wrist and helped pulled it down and what that did and then he's just pushing him in the pocket he's basically back he's got the tight end backpedal he's just way overmatched so you know that's kind of what you expect to do with you know Hightower's 260 plus you know he's a he's a big linebacker he's one of the biggest linebackers in the league so when you can get you know same sized guy and you get to charge forward against him you, you should win that it's it's much easier to do that to a tight end than it is a tackle especially when you're heavy like Hightower is so really his edge collapse and then Davis's work collapse on the inside that just sort of you know they he wanted to go left to leave and there was nowhere to go and that's just really really great work by those two two dudes yeah excellent so i, I guess that... i got one more quick question got it. on uh <clears throat> you brought up the, the mixed martial arts bringing him in i think that's made a tremendous uh difference you know with their hands and everything this this preseason and all um what do you think is the difference between Matt Patricia's defense and Brian Flores? What have you seen? Is it some much more simplified defense for these guys to, to understand um, their assignments or what do you think is, is the main difference? Well, I, one thing I would say, and and you know, in in full disclosure, I'm a big fan of Matty Pease. I he's an exceptional coach. Uh, and I, one of the things that I I think has to be acknowledged when we're talking about comparing stuff from last year and this is a lot of last year was a lot of putting holes in and you know putting fingers in holes of dams and taping and gluing and you know they were they were dealing with uh, no edge guys uh, left and right. Both sides were you know it was Eric Lee at one point and then the kid from. Uh, Seattle or whatever that came over in the trade that they later released, uh, blank on his name, but whatever. The the point is, there was a lot of lower, you know, not guys that were able to win one on one consistently. And when you have that, uh, and you have Dietrich Wise is, is just a rookie, Butler trying to figure out who this guy is. He's new. These are all these guys that are now out there making plays that are a year older in the system and are pros now. Right. He, there were not those people on that team. There was no high tower. Uh, they were pretty thin at inside linebackers, so they're having to sort of, you know, tape and bubble gum that situation. And 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 when you're in, when you're dealing with eleven like that, yeah, you got to be more creative. You got to do more goofy stuff. But any coordinator in the league, and, and again, I'm not trying to put one up above or below the other. Brian Flores, I like people a lot, uh, but I think he Brian has a a better situation right now. I mean, uh, you bring in Adrian Claiborne, this Count Davis guy looks like a player. Um, you've got two big bodies now having Danny on the inside, Shelton alongside, uh, either, you know, either guy or Brown. So there's some flexibility there. There's just so much more, you know, good options here to work with. So one thing we've seen him do is, you know, and this will seem sort of counterintuitive, but 
there's been more pressure this year without bringing more pressure. Uh, I think the blitz percentage, at least as I can tell, the real blitz, the true stuff, not just the one linebacker hug rushing and counting it as a fifth, none of that stuff. But right. just the true, hey, I dialed up a blitz and brought a fifth or sixth guy, they haven't had to do as much of that just because they're, they're four down or better players. you know. And it's just more – part of it's better a year later in the system and part of it's just they got a couple other extra pieces or are just better players. So that makes it easier. The coordinator just calls a real basic call. So it's not as if Brian came in and invented new calls or did something different. This is literally all the exact same defenses and coverages that that existed before. But he's able to rely on more of the simple part of the the, the playbook because you got you know a better group of guys. Okay. Fair enough. All right, then. I think that's just about it for the Texans review. Did you want to keep going, Matt? Uh-huh. Uh, no, you know what? I do have some kitty things I got to do tonight with the <laughs> taking showers and baths, and we got to go through some homework stuff. And I got to play dad tonight, not play dad, but be dad. So, hey, <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for being on. All right, take care now. Yeah, bye bye. Okay, then, Anthony, you want to move on to a couple of the other minor things that we had to take care of before we wrap it up? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. So there, there were some signings today, along with uh, they uh, they cut Riley McCarron, they put Hill on uh, injured reserve, and then they uh, cut Chad Henson. Is that what his name was? Yes, sir. And then uh, they signed Corey Coleman and Benny Fowler. And then late this afternoon, they signed Kenyon Barner. What's your initial thoughts on that? Uh, all three guys seem to be very – uh, very good athletic guys. Um, these can all be uh, players that, you know, obviously in the next couple of weeks could uh, definitely contribute to this team, you know, in a, in a small small percentage. Now you got to remember that we're just trying to fill the next three weeks until Edelman comes back, and then you'll start to see more of, you know, what the game plan. Obviously, Edelman's going to take a lot of those snaps, but. These are definitely some guys that can, by all accounts, by looking at them, or can definitely contribute to this team. Yeah, so basically Coleman and Fowler are probably fighting for one spot in, th- in three weeks, having a tryout. Exactly, but, I mean, Coleman, Coleman is, you know, he comes here with basically so much baggage, uh, you know, playing for the Browns and then going to the Bills and not being able – he basically wasn't able to learn the system fast enough in Buffalo. They gave him what? I think he was there like what a week, a week and a half, or something like that. Yeah, less than two weeks. I mean, the the one thing that he that he does have going for him is that Brian Dable's over there. So Dable runs a Patriots type offense. So you know maybe he's got a a, a little bit of advantage already coming into the system. Is he going to be able to pick it up? Who knows? You know maybe you know Belichick doesn't play. You know, I'm sure they signed these. I, I believe they signed him. I believe they did sign him to a one-year contract. Yeah. So yeah, as far as it, I saw. Depends on, you know, obviously it's not going to be very much guaranteed money. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's a low, it's a, it's a high reward, low risk signing. And you know, low risk than Des. <laughs> exactly. Who the hell <laughs> I, I swear, I wish these, these Patriots fans would just... Get over this Des Bryant thing. I mean, no matter what, we. I mean, this team performed 
fine for, you know, what you didn't expect, you know, what, what your expectations were going into week one. And it's still, where's Des? We need Des. Yeah, I love it because it's like uh, Matt Ch Chatham says. He always says they don't have five wide receivers at the top of their depth chart. They have five pass catchers. And I've been looking at that, and you gotta you got to realize that, that White and Gronk are higher on the depth chart than the fifth wide receiver will be, than the fourth wide receiver will be. So well, I, I said it during the last podcast that White is going to be the X factor, mm -hmm. you know, out of the backfield. Uh, you know, it's – I, I don't know. It's yeah. it's the old it's the old fans that've been around for a long time and understand the Belichick system and and the Patriots way of, of doing things to the new kids that just come in and and we love you if you're listening to us we love you but you know we get it that you're stuck on a name brand you know Des Bryant you know it's in big bright lights with you know Des Bryant he's gonna catch everything. He's going to come in here and be the super, the, the Randy Moss 2.0. 30 other, 31 other teams have passed on him besides the Patriots. And they just asked, they just went back and asked somebody as a source in the Patriots if they were still not looking to sign him. And they said, probably not. Yeah, that's what it was. So, so yeah, I think, and, and like uh, several people have said, the ship sailed on that. Um, if they were going to do it, it probably would have been done prior to the off season, they would have taken the licks with the guaranteed money. If they could get them in there for cheap, not wait around till after the first of the seat, first week of the season. So I don't think that that is something that's going to be happening anytime soon, unless something emergency really comes to head with the wide receiver core. I don't even think of emergency came to head <laughs> that they would bring him in. You know, it's going to cost, I think the Patriots have like 5.5 million on the, on their salary cap right now. Yeah, I didn't check yeah. the latest figures. It's not, you know, he, it's not high. Dez is not going to come in for a million-dollar vet men room to play. He's going to yeah. want some kind of money. I know there was some, I don't know, some Twitter account that was saying bring him in for $5 million. And, of course, that got shot down immediately. Like, you know, they got to have expense money for the rest of the year. What yeah. do you want them to do, bring Dez in and, and, not have, and be screwed for the rest of the season? I mean, just because you want the bright light names? Yep. Sorry, this is not a Brady type player. So uh, the name that actually intrigued me the most on the, out of that group was Kenyon Barner. He uh, was with uh, the Eagles for 2017, and he actually did really well on uh, punt returns. He took 27 punt returns back for 8.9 yards per return, and he actually had a 76 yard punt return. So that's where he can make his most immediate impact. And then uh, he's also done some uh, kickoff returns as well. So he can at least be a backup kickoff returner for Patterson since he's been spent so much time on offense, which was great to see. I think what they're just they're bringing this guy in is basically going to be like, look, buddy, you ain't got time to catch. You're not going to have time to really get the playbook up going before the Jaguars game. We're going to just throw you back there, catch the ball, run like hell. You know, because we didn't have Riley, you know, we had Riley McCarron, but obviously he, you can't catch balls off your face. So, you know, that's basically what they're going to bring him in for. Yeah, and I agree. There's no need for another running back. We have plenty of running backs. Um, we can bring uh, Webb up off the practice squad if they need somebody else as a body. So. Definitely. 
then I uh, want to roll into the news that broke before the game. Uh, there were three reports that came out pretty much in rapid succession. And uh, first one, uh, Josh McDaniels got his contract extension. The details were released from that. You want to comment on that? That's your next head coach right there. <laughs> when they went and got it, you know, obviously that happened back in February that they gave him that kind of money. I, I believe it's like $4 million per year. Uh, it, it gets up to four million dollars. I think they, from what I saw, it was the last year got up to that that amount. Okay, well, you know, it's, look at it like this: How much longer is Brady and Belichick going to be around? You know, if it's an escal, if it's an escalating contract, you know, over the four years or five years that they gave him, then it's time for it'll be time for him to to succeed. Belichick, when it's time to walk away, you know, and then he'll probably get some type of pay raise when he turns into a head coach. Yeah, and then they uh, have some continuity with everything as well, if that if that's the way it all plays out. I mean, obviously the writing's on the wall there. They're not going to go get a guy that's already signed a contract with the Colts or basically sitting in their office already getting ready to sign it, and they call him up at the last minute, hey, this is what we got for you. You know, it, it, the writing's on the wall. I mean, you would have thought maybe the succession would have been – um, McDaniel's and uh, what's his name? Maddie. No, no, the quarterback. Uh, Garoppolo. Oh, taking over. But you know that ship has sailed or whatever. So now it's time to get, you know, the next person up there. Obviously, it's not going to be Hoyer. He'll probably be gone long before you know all this next change happens. So is the next person going to be at Ling as he, as he gets to sit on the bench this year? and be the practice squad quarterback. Yeah. They'll, they'll give him a shot. I mean, he's got to keep learning and growing. So there's nothing that they're doing wrong or that he's doing wrong. It's just the way it goes. I still think that somewhere along the line, Jacoby Brissett's going to come, end up coming back. Oh, absolutely. That's definitely that's, a possibility. That's my thought. And then uh, we got – there was uh, those uh, news reports that – regarding uh, Gronk's report during the trade, how he made it so that he he basically, they said that he begged to not trade him and that he would not allow a trade to go through. And all this harsh language that uh, people were instantly said was fake news and um, things of that nature. And I, the, I wrote an article earlier this week, and it was just the next, bit of information that we didn't get from way back before the draft. And uh, what do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, Gronk's, Gronk's definitely, you know, he's definitely earned his time here to be, you know, either a career player here. Obviously he's, he wants his money, but he's also willing to give some money also for the team. You know, same as Brady does. He's a team player. Um, but he wants to be obviously he wants to get paid somewhere in the upper somewhere in the upper echelons of, of his position. And not only his position, he's a wide receiver also. Yeah. Um, I mean, it came out during the game. They asked him, you know, when you were doubled, when you were doubled in that catch that that you made, what you know, what was your thought process? And he's like, I'm wondering what Tom Brady said, what Tom Brady was thinking. You know, who the hell's thinking with Tom Brady? Who's thinking about what somebody else is thinking about when you're getting ready to get smacked by two defensive players trying to, you know, catch a, catch a ball on a double team? But, I mean, 
Gronk for, you know, everything that you may hear, you know, this past offseason and everything. He's definitely earned his time for this team and, and the right to be able to, you know, stick it out if he wants to. It's not like he's trying to manhandle this team money-wise and say, you know, I want to be the top, you know, paid defensive or top tight end in the, in the league, you know, along with, you know, being – getting a little extra for being, you know, a wide receiver on this team and everything, you know, his roots are in, his roots are in new England. Oh, definitely. You know, prior, prior to playing there. So that, that's, you know, he wants to finish his career here. You know, I think in the end, I think it's going to be all of them basically making an exit at the sun, same time, riding off into the sunset, Belichick, Brady, Gronk, you know, Gronk's what two back surgeries. In the NFL or three, three all together, three all together, two in the NFL, uh, the forearm, three or four surgeries from that and a partridge in a pear tree and the back surgery from when he was in college, too. I mean, this guy's banged up, you know, it may, it may not look like it now, but come on, five years after he's done retiring, he's not going to be walking straight. Yeah, well, you know, so. and it also comes down to the fact that the team was trying to get ready for the 2018 season when all this was going on. They gave him his space after the Super Bowl. He obviously went through a tough loss, tough season. They all did. And as they were getting together, everything ready to go into the draft, they wanted to get a little clarification from him. Or are you going to come back? Are you going to be full go? Are you excited to be on the 2018 Patriots? And it ended up being that they got that monster dirt bike press conference in the in Gillette Stadium and then they were like okay well if that's the case they put out their feelers to the Titans the Lions and I believe the 49ers for whether they could trade them or not and they, they did it quietly because they didn't want to uh, cause a ruckus and then after that, that's when you got that meeting, that sit-down powwow, and then that's when you got the Instagram post. So I think it's all just the fact that we don't get all the information in real time as it happens. We understandably get dribs and drabs months later, weeks later. So it, like, as far as it being like this big blowout or information or shocking revelations, it's not that. It's just that that's, that's the nature of this business, that people are tight-lipped. Well, and even more the Patriots. And I think a lot of it is definitely the media driven, you know, for, oh, we got to put some speculation out there. We got to do something, you know, we got to get the clicks on our website. We got to, you know, we got to sell papers you know, if they even do that anymore. Um, you know, we got to do what we got to do. We got to, you know, we got to keep it interesting around here. There's nothing going on. You know, these damn Patriots ain't making no moves. They're not signing anybody. They haven't signed Des Bryant yet. You know, they're not trading up for the number one, you know, number one, pick in this draft you know what are we going to do you know but you know that's new england media for you so yeah and uh can, can we talk about new england media for a minute here did uh, yeah, you sure <laughs> did you see the boston i think it was the globe that had their uh list of writers picks for the game patriots against texans and every one of their writers picked the texans hmm. no i've seen something about gasper i didn't see any i didn't hear about that one yeah, and then and then I I don't know if it was Gasper or not, but he called out the paper. For, yeah, it was Gasper. He called out the yeah, paper. He called out the paper for making the picks for him, mm. and 
it, like the whole thing is just a fiasco and so incredible that the newspaper thinks it's good it's important enough to have that in there but yet doesn't get the right answers from their writers and then puts all of it on the texans i i don't understand why you would even do something like that look the bottom line with the media is and we all know like you can't turn on i said it in other podcasts you can't turn on anything in the boston media anymore and listen to any of it because it's basically all negative it doesn't this team could have won game one 60 to nothing against the texans and they're going to pick out what the patriots didn't do right Mm-hmm. You know, Brady could go 35 for 35 for 600 yards, you know, seven TDs and no interceptions. And they would find out, you know, they would pick on that his, you know, he tripped over his two feet because he's 41 years old on a play. That's what they're going to pick out. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you try to turn on anything like, I mean, I was, I used to be the biggest morning sports talk person, you know, I don't know. Some of these, our followers know that I don't live in New England. I live in Orlando. So obviously I listen to everything that I possibly can while I'm running this whole contraption. Um, And you can't turn, there's nothing that you can turn on besides maybe Beetle and, and Zoe that are anything positive in the Boston media. That's incredible. <laughs> and I mean, like, even now you turn on Toucher and Rich in the morning, you got Adam Jones, that's the, the nighttime trasher of all sports, nighttime show host that's now on with them. And it's like, oh my God, you're just, you're just keep cross contaminating all these shows with all these damn different personalities. Like, I can't even listen. Like, what do I, what am I supposed to listen to anymore? You want to listen, you want to get information, you want to pass it along to, you know, our followers and stuff, you know, I want to pass along stuff for you, for you guys to write, but you can't even, you can't even listen to anything that goes on because you just, you just get that, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, podcast, my, my friend podcast, much more positive. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so what was your, what was the third thing? The third, thing, the third thing was the smoothing of the relationship between Guerrero and the team, but I don't even want to get into that because that is done. I, I'm so sick of hearing about the trainer for TB12 Institute and all the information that they think that they're going to get out of this. I mean, look, Brady's 41 years old. His career is almost done. He knows that. He's taken a big, a big hit money-wise throughout the, his career to make this team successful. You know, teams like like uh, like the Packers that just gave Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, two dump trucks full of money, and for him to break his ankle in the first game, if that's what it is, I don't even know the exact uh, whatever it was, but I mean, it had to be something. I mean, it had to be something major if they carted him off the field, and then they must have gave him some hell of a drugs. Yeah, you saw that. Come back in the second half. <laughs> so you know let this guy move on with his career if his career in a second i mean it, it, after he's done if it's going to be helping the next generation of players be get ready whether it's in new england or just taking in players that are going to be in the nfl let the man do his thing who cares what alex guerrero does if he doesn't have a if he doesn't have a degree or if he does obviously it's working for brady because Everybody was talking about Brady and his dad bod 
um, you know, six weeks at the beginning of training camp or whatever, when he was on vacation. And then to me, when he just came, when he was just walking through at the beginning of the Texans game before the game, he looked like he was in tip top shape. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, let it be, you know, they're not going to do anything about it. In the end, if they wanted Brady to stay, he was going to get his way. At least, uh, I, and I, it appears they compromised. I mean, it, from what I heard, he's not on every airplane out. He's not on every sideline game, but he does have access to the, the team and the players that are clients of his. So, I mean, it, it seems like that they all got together, were adults in a room, and hash something out not like the whole threatening to retire and stuff that you think that you would hear every day the whole media driven <laughs> side of it to to make sales yeah. so yeah so i think that's uh, just about it for the review portion of this show i survived <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying not to die over here as it is <laughs> So thank you for listening to us here at Boston Sports Extra. And you can find this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on uh, – <laughs> I drew a blank. You can find it – yeah, wherever you get your podcast. And then we have tons of good writers that are writing daily about Boston sports at bostonsportsextra.com. And our Twitter account is Extra on twitter and we also have instagram as well so just search wherever you want to for boston sports extra and you'll find something of ours so head on over there and my name's andy and that i'm anthony yeah and that's anthony and so thank you have a good night and we'll see you guys on the next show <laughs>